0: all right church welcome uh, good morning my name is kyle I'm one of the pastors here whether you're watching online or you're in the room or i see you in the lobby welcome we've had a busy weekend uh we had the weekender i know some of you go you talk about the weekender all the time uh, here's what we would say here that we are the church for anybody but we're not the church for everybody. And one of the ways that we find that out and you find that out is through the weekender. Uh, I got some pictures behind me. We had like over 50 people again. And I can't tell you what this does. It invigorates and energizes every area of our church, our kids ministry and our student ministry and all the other areas where people serve. And so let me just tell you this. If you've been coming around for a while and you wanna go, man, I wanna get more out of this church. How do I connect myself? Hopefully you're asked this question. If you're a Christian, you've been coming around for a while. Hey, I don't want to just be a consumer. Can any church or any organization exist if there are more consumers than contributors? No is the answer to that, okay? How about if there's more takers than givers? No is, again, the answer, okay? And so what we want to say is, hey, if you want to take your next step We believe here in high-commitment culture. When we read the words of Jesus or the entire Bible or look at church history, we see a high-commitment culture. So our next weekend, or we're not having one in March, we're going to have one April 8th and 9th. If you're the organized person in your family, you may want to write that down, okay? April 8th and 9th, what I want to do for a moment is I just want to pray for the 50-some people who went through the weekend or taking their next step. And then just take a moment and pray for us as we're going to end our series today in the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. We're just going to look at a few verses in chapter 8. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to take a moment right now, and I just I want to thank you for another group of people who said we don't want to just be a part of the crowd, the generic and general crowd. We want to be connected, and we want to be committed, and we want to connect our life to God's global purposes through a local church. Lord, we're thankful, and thankful for how it does energize and invigorate every area of our church. It unleashes new people with skills and visions and hearts for things and passions. Well, right now, I just take a moment, and I just want to, I don't know where we're all coming from on a Sunday morning. I don't know how the weekend's been. We know, we know it's been a crazy time in our world, and we just want to take a moment and say, what we do here is we set aside this place and this space to look at your word, and I pray that we would prepare our hearts to do that. We would prepare our hearts, as it talks about in Scripture, to humbly receive the word of God. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you can type to or turn to Song of Solomon chapter 8. We're just going to be in verses 8 through 11. That's it. And then I'm going to actually take us to a few other places in Scripture. But the heart of where we're going to be is Song of Solomon chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. I'll meet you there in just a minute. Let me just tell you this because, again, I don't think in terms of sermons or Sundays, but in terms of series. This, from what we can tell, has been the most popular series so far, by far, in the life of our church. And I think it's because it touches on the most significant and the most sensitive issues. So before we kind of finish up today, I just wanna remind us of what we've talked about. So we talked about manhood and womanhood. And it's like, well, why did we start there? Because our culture, is our culture confused about manhood and womanhood? Yes, Yes. okay? And it's okay. This This is what the church has always done. We've brought clarity into confusion in the culture, okay? So the culture's confused about manhood and womanhood. So I heard a new term this week. Have you ever heard of the term broom? You're like, yeah, that's what we sweep the floor with. No, 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 a different type of broom. They're now saying if you're non-binary and you're getting married and you don't know if you're the bride or the groom, call yourself a broom. <laughs> Apple made a big announcement this week. They said, that's it. New voice for series coming out as another option. And it's going to be a, you guessed it, non-broom. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a non-gendered voice. And so what's happening is we're, just, we're in a culture where people are trying to act like there's no distinction between men and women. Now, listen, we said this. Men and women are more the same than different, but we are different. Secondly, we talked a lot about dating and singleness and attraction, and we said to the single people, there's lots of temptations when you're single. One is to just be selfish. That's the world's temptation. The other temptation, if you've been single for a while, is you just settle. You're like, uh, I said Christian, now just a guy who believes in God. Okay, a guy who will go to church with me. Okay, a guy who used to go to church. Instead of viewing it as a unique opportunity for stewardship, then we talked about marriage. And that's basically what we talked about for the last few weeks. And and, and let me encourage you, wherever you are in your marriage, wherever you are, this is a good word, wherever you are, that's where you start. And and what marriage is hopefully, part of what we do together is give each other language. It's like, okay, now you have a bullseye in your marriage. Now you have an end zone. Now you have a goal, and it's oneness, and wherever you are, that's where you begin, and you pursue oneness together, and it's never too late to start. And then we talked, you know, basically about sex and conflict and lifelong marriage, and that's just to say, aren't you glad the Bible's an honest book? In Song of Solomon, you get one chapter on sex and two chapters on fighting. (laughs) Sounds like most of our marriages, okay? Um, And so you go, well, what's left? We talked about it all. In fact, some of you came, and you thought, I thought we were done with Song of Solomon. Well, there's one thing left, and and here's what's really interesting. In chapter 8, verse 8, the the, the marriage has been celebrated, the couple has sung to each other, and now, one last time, we hear from the others. And I want you to see what they say. If you you look here, this is what we're going to talk about today. In chapter 8, verse 8, it says this We have a little sister. What we're going to talk about today is thinking about the next generation this is how the book ends we live in a culture that has divorced sex from marriage and divorced marriage from kids and we live in a generation where people don't know what to do with kids they don't know what to do with their own kids they don't know what to do with other kids and there's no talking to people about their kids have you tried to talk to someone about their kids good luck and so here's what he says here we have a little sister now we know in the past they've looked to the generations to come, right? Because multiple times in this book, and you can underline them and circle them if you wanna go back and look, they say, do not awaken love before it's time. What are they doing? They're talking to single people. But they're talking at that point to single people who could date. This is the first and only time in the book where they look to an elementary school girl. That's probably what, look, look how they define her. We have a little sister, not just a sister, she's a little sister. She's young, and here's how they describe her. And she has no breasts. That means elementary school. She's not yet gone through puberty. What do we do with our seven-year-old daughter is what they're asking. By the way, that's what a kid is. A kid is basically potential, right? Every parent knows this. You see your kid and you go, you ask this question, what could they become? What will they be like? And then the rest of your life as a parent, what frustrates you probably more than anything is if you feel like your kids aren't living up to their potential, and then they ask a question. I want you to see this. They ask one question, and this sermon is an answer to this question. And we're going to see some of the answer in, the, in this immediate text. We're going to go to a couple other places in the Old Testament to answer this question. Here's the question What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? Now, they're asking this How do we get our daughter? and this it's her sister, but we might ask this question. How do we get our sons and our daughters ready for marriage? Because, by the way, if you don't know, you should know this. Every parent does know this. The goal of parenting is to release your children into the world. The goal of parenting is not to keep them in your basement. The goal of parenting is not to make it so good at home that they never want to leave. The goal of parenting, contrary to popular opinion, is not safetyism. It's not to protect them, it's to prepare them, all right? It's not to, you know, it's not ultimately, we would say it's not ultimately to make them safe, although there's, a, obviously, we wanna make our kids safe at, at you know, a reasonable level, but it's not that, it's, as much, it's much more than that, it's to make them strong. And so this whole sermon, it's a different, so in five and a half years of preaching, week in and week out, that I can find, I've never preached a sermon on parenting, but this is the first sermon ever on parenting. Now, it's for everybody, because some of you go, well, I'm not a parent, well, you'll probably be one. And some of you go, I'm done parenting. <laughs> uh, my kids are gone. Well, l- l- listen, you can probably be a grandparent. You want to be involved. And here's, here's how this kind of brings... Let's, let me put my arms around everybody here. Um, all parenting is is an immersive and intense form of discipleship. That's what parenting is. So when I talk about this today and I give illustrations and I'm going to give you some practical points and we're going to talk about a couple things together. But what I want you to understand is that everything I say that a parent should do with a child... You could translate it and say, this should happen in every discipling relationship I'm in. And everybody in here, if they're a Christian, is called to make and mobilize disciples to help other people find and follow Jesus. We're going to specifically look at how parents do that today. And so here's why this is also important. God has blessed us with a lot of kids in this church. Kind of, We're going to kind of have, if you're new, welcome. We're kind of having a family discussion a little bit here just on the state of our church. So we are a multi-generational church. Here's how every church works. Every church, the heart of every church is 10 years both sides of the senior pastor. So I'm 37, so the heart of our church is 27 to 47-year-olds. Some people go, I want the church to get older. Well, just wait till I get older. (laughs) It it happens everywhere. Okay, now we also have everybody from diapers to people that are decades and decades and decades and great-grandparents, okay? We have everything in between. But when the heart of your church is 27 to 47, what does that mean? lots of kids. These numbers probably won't mean a lot to you. I just want you to know that we have about 300 kids now coming fifth grade and under every week next door. We are testing the bounds of this building, okay? (laughs) And let me just take a moment, and we need to clap for them. Everybody who serves as a kids volunteer. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, all you guys, I mean, just unbelievable. Thank you for what you do. Uh, We have over 300 volunteers who regularly serve in our kids' ministry. And so a part of it is I want us to understand, right? We don't wanna be like the world, the world is just selfish. It's like, well, if this isn't about me, I don't wanna hear about it. Well, maybe it's about somebody else. And maybe we're gonna help each other because actually what happens in this situation, what'd they say? It's like, again, we don't know the whole reason, but like, dad's not there. Why are these brothers asking about their sister? Most likely because dad's not there. By the way, that's what the church does. The church steps in. There's a lot of people who are not in ideal situations. Dad is, isn't there physically or he's not there spiritually. And that's why the church is here. This is, you know, this is why one of the heartbreaking things, if I can just speak personally to you, one of the heartbreaking things that happened in COVID, and we're doing fine as a church, but one of the heartbreaking things that I saw in COVID is people took their kids out of church. And some people still have their kids out of church. And I'm convinced that people who've taken their kids out of church don't know what they're doing, dot, 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 or else they wouldn't do it. Your kids need other influences. Do you know that when they do studies, people who were in church in high school and and were from a Christian family, those who end up walking with God in college, the only thing they can find is a common denominator between those who walk with God in college and those who don't is did they have one other significant adult relationship that was a Christian in their life. And so this is, so give you an example. I've got three kids. I talk about them a lot, 10, 8, 5. A couple years ago, this happened, okay? So a couple years ago, it's Grandparents' Day at the school. We call my parents. They can't make it. All right, that's going to be really sad for Addie. Then we call Margie's parents. They can't make it. We break it to Addie. Addie, sorry. Grandparents' Day, you're not going to be able to... They can't make it this year. They're really sorry. She says, well, why don't we just invite Miss Liz from the kids' ministry? So we call Miss Liz, and she, who's been deeply investing in my daughter, so much so that when it's Grandparents' Day, she says, can we invite Miss Liz? And then I come home a couple days later and she's on FaceTime, I'm like, who are you on FaceTime with? She's like, "Miss Liz. (laughs) What a beautiful picture of investing. This is what the church does. In the church, the single mom can find other people to be fathers and uncles and brothers for their kids. And so what I wanna, here's the big idea for today. It's a very simple idea. It's that the family is an institution and being a parent is an office. Now that makes a lot of millennials uncomfortable because millennials like well i don't want to be in charge i want just to make decisions by consensus i want to be here's here's what i say you're not your kid's friend now get from what from what i talk to from from older parents who've got great relationships with their kids friendship with your kid is the fruit of being their parent for 20 years you're not your kid's pal you're not your kid's buddy See, what happens is your, your kids are gonna get to have, hopefully, many friends. They only get one mom, and they only get one daddy. But see, today, and I'm gonna just talk about this for a little bit, and then we're gonna dive right in uh, to, to the rest of this passage. Today, I think we're confused about parenting. We're, we're always confused. I mean, our, every generation gets confused. But I want us to talk for a few minutes about how parenting has changed, and I think you'll find this interesting. Because I think oftentimes we think life started with us. We wouldn't say that out loud. Or that life has been, life is now how it's always been which isn't true. So let me tell you a couple things that change about parenting that affect how we disciple our kids. Number one, we have a lot less kids than people used to have, right? In fact, if you see someone with like eight kids, you're like, Mormon, <laughs> right, you, right? Or a serious Catholic, you know, and you start, you start making jokes, you know how that happens, right? You know, it's like we're not used to seeing people with large families. Now, you need to understand that historically, you know, it's like people had somewhere between eight and 15 kids, half of whom died. It's, it's sad, but that's, all, that's what happened. People had lots of kids, and so what you might ask, well, what happens when you have lots of kids? I'm not critiquing not having lots of kids. I'm just saying, what happens when you have lots of kids? They kind of raise each other. It's a lot harder to be selfish and self-consumed when you're one of 12. Here's the second thing. People are having kids a lot later in life. You used to kind of grow up with your kids, you're like, well, I'm 22 and I've got three kids, and we're all kind of figuring this out together. Whereas, well, how are kids, you know, how are kids viewed today? They're a burden. That's how people view them. Women are like, they're a burden on my body. Men, they're a burden on the budget. And so, what people do is, okay, fine, we'll get everything else in order. We'll wait till our mid 30s and we'll have maybe one or two kids, and then we'll give them everything. Well, is that good for a kid? probably not, right? If one of the things that you need to grow up is a healthy level of deprivation, it's very hard for wealthy parents with just a few kids to not give them everything. And then imagine that you also want to be your kid's friend. How can you disciple that person? Here's a third thing that's changing. Everybody's working all the time. I'm not critiquing mom, working dad. I'm just saying it used to be that mom stayed home and mom was very involved in the school, and mom was very involved in the neighborhood, and mom was very involved in the nonprofits. And especially in the first few years of the life, mom was super, because if you don't know this, a kid is a full-time job until they're five for someone. You, it, that's, that's what you have to have that conversation. Well, are we doing daycare? Are we getting a nanny? Uh, are we, or is one of us working part-time? How are, we, how are we doing all of this? Here's another thing that's changed about parenting. Grandparents aren't around anymore. I mean, I, I, my whole time of being a dad, my parents have lived in, and I've lived in North Carolina, my parents have lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I love them, and they're as involved as they can be. And Margie's parents live in Chattanooga. And every once in a while, we'll meet people, and like, we're on a date night. I'm like, really? Like, yeah, my mom came over and watch the kids. I'm like, for free? Because <laughs> I have to schedule the babysitter a week out, and babysitters are getting very expensive. And we, you know what I'm saying? So there's this, they say, they, it's hard to measure this. They say being a mom without your mom around is about five times harder than being a mom with your mom around. And you lose that multi, I'm not saying we all need to go build homes on like a commune land and we all need to live together. I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, probably the, the biggest change is that we have somehow, and I think, I think it's the result of everything I said. We're having less kids, we're having them older, we have more money, we're very, very busy so when we're with them we wanna give them everything. We end up having child-centered homes. It's, I see it, it starts when people are really, really young. They, they begin to revolve their entire life around their kids. It starts with their nap time. We can't do any, but anything with anybody for these three-hour periods twice a day because Johnny needs to sleep. It's like, well, okay, fine as a singular decision, maybe, but most people are starting patterns and paths in their life. Or in middle school, it's club sports and we're not against club sports. But how many people, it's like, here's what we're going to do. I, hear, I mean, they wouldn't say this out loud. But here's what we're going to do. Over the next six years, we're going to spend $100,000 helping Johnny play soccer. It will only cost us every weekend and most of our summers in six figures. And But here's the goal. The goal is he will play bad Division three soccer. <laughs> at a school he otherwise wouldn't go to. Where he's not. Where he's compromising academics where, again, he probably won't end up valuing his spiritual life, and where he will continue to pursue the idol, the whole family worship, which was soccer. So, okay, into all of that, I want to talk about what it means to be a parent. And I want us to see three things that are said to parents. The the first, I want you to see, if if you'll turn with me again, we'll go back to verse 8. If you go to verse 8, let me read it one more time to all of us. Um, Here's what it says. Sorry, verse 9. After, what do we do? If she's a wall, we will build her a battlement of silver. If she is a door, we will enclose her with cedars. Let me say one more thing before I give you these three things. The goal of parenting, you may want to ask, what is the goal of parenting? And I know I'm stereotyping, but if you ask Asians, Asian Americans, what is the goal of parenting? The answer is education. The answer is get my kid into the best school possible. And we will give all of our energy toward it. If you ask America, the average American, we're a lot more shallow. We're like, we want them to be happy. Even Christian parents, you'll talk to Christian parents. How's how's Bob doing? Well, Bob's a partner, and yeah, he's, you know, he's not a Christian. He's cohabitating with his girlfriend. He lives in Texas. He seems happy. Okay, well, is happiness the goal? Is there a deeper goal than all of this? And so the goal is this, now listen. Obviously, we believe in big God theology. We can't, we can't save our children. But let me tell you, this is a really cool insight from Scripture. If you look up in the, in the Old Testament where it says, uh, the man who fears the Lord, there's a phrase that shows up almost every time after that in the Psalms. It says, the man who fears the Lord, dot, 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 blessed are his children. So what does God use? What is, what is the number one thing that God uses in the life of parents for the salvation of their children? The answer is the fear of the Lord. I fear God more than I fear my kids so I can tell them no. I fear God more than I fear my friends so I don't have to do everything they're doing. I fear God more than I fear my parents who aren't going to like the decisions that I'm making with the kids because it's different than the decisions that they made. And the second goal of parenting, which is way down the totem pole from the first goal, okay? Cuz by the way, if the salvation of your child, that's that's what I don't want to say it solves all the problems, but a lot of times you're talking to someone and they're like, well, you know, my son's addicted to this and he doesn't want the church and he's dating a non-Christian and he doesn't seem to care about God and he never reads his Bible. It's like, well, we know what the problem is. You just named six problems, but so we know that the problem is, the problem is he's not born again. And that's what we need to pray for. That's what we need to ask God to move in. That's why we, can, we parent and we pray. When we parent, we pray, and then we just keep doing that the rest of our lives. <laughs> parent, pray, parent, pray. Um, but the second goal, and it's worth saying this, the second goal is the socialization of your children. Obviously, you don't, you just th- which has to do with their whole formation, relationally, has to, they're asking a socialization question. Who are they gonna marry? What type of person are they gonna be? How are they gonna relate to others? And, and that, again, this is why we have kids ministry, this is why we have student ministry, it's, 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 this is why we have a church. It's, it's, what happens is if a child doesn't learn to relate properly, and there's lots of grace, but I want you to hear this, because you need to know. if you have young kids especially, if your kids don't learn how to relate to peers, and they don't get, they don't know how to relate to other parents and they don't know how to relate to teachers and coaches then unfortunately all of those people don't want to spend time with your kid can you think of many things worse than that everybody who interacts with your kid doesn't want to be around them you need to help them when you get married two weird people make one normal person that's what happens in marriage like two of you and you've got your own weird things about you, and your spouse says weird things about her, and vice versa. But when the two of you come together, if you both don't like something that your kid is doing, you represent society. So the chance that every other person doesn't like it is probably 100%. So we pray for and we parent, and we want to see the salvation of our kids, and then very practically, we'd like to see our children grow up and engage the world. Let me tell you three ways that you do this right from scripture. The first is that you disciple every child differently. Do you see in verse nine? If she's a wall, then we'll do this. And if she's a door, then we'll do that. What does that mean? A wall is she has high standards. She's not letting anybody in. She has high self-worth. She's not a sexually available young lady. She doesn't view herself as a commodity. And they said, we're gonna gonna decorate her with silver. That's what, it's all imagery. If she's a wall and she has high self-worth and she takes care of herself, and she interacts properly, we're just going to celebrate that and we're going to continue to give her more responsibility. Then it says, if she's a door, think back to the garden illustration. Door lets anybody in. If she's naive, this could be guys and girls. There's are just talking about a girl here. If she's unwise, right? I told you this before, the way that you get PTSD is you're naive and you meet someone who's malevolent. And the deeper the PTSD is, is how naive were you and how malevolent were they? And that's how you diagnose PTSD. So we do not wanna raise naive kids. And so they say basically what we'll do is we'll build a cedar door around her. Parents need to say, okay, there's some people we're gonna to have to build fences. We're gonna to have to put guardrails up. We're gonna to have to put boundaries up. We're gonna to have to put barriers up. But here's the point I want us all to hear about the discipling. This, has, this goes with everyone you disciple. You have to disciple everyone differently. How many of you, if you have more than one kid, you're like, my kids are completely different. Well, right? She's very extroverted. He's very introverted. She's very rebellious. My other daughter is uh, very religious, which is hard because she does everything, but I don't know if her heart's been changed. Your kids have different, I mean, how much time do we want to spend on this? They have different personalities. They have different temptations. They have different love languages. And most of us, we just want people to, we want to disciple people the way we want to be discipled. We want to invest in people the way we want them to invest in us. It's like, no, you have to disciple every kid differently. Now, there's a couple practical. practical, here's what we do instead. Most parents, instead of discipling our kids differently, we herd them like cattle. We treat all of our kids the exact same, and part of this is because we're overwhelmed even with our two or three kids, right? It's like, when one of the parents wants a break, what do they want? They want the three kids to go with the other parents. So, well, I don't, I don't want you to just take one and spend time, because if you take one and spend time, I have two or three still here, then I don't get to rest. It, so let me give you a couple practicals. Well, here's, what we, here's what we've tried to do, and we've been inconsistent and we've been messy. By the way, I, I heard a story of a pastor, and this would probably be very true of me. Uh, they said when he, was, when he was newly married, he gave a sermon series called the Ten Commandments of Parenting, and he, he had no kids, okay? Here's the Ten Commandments. And then he had two or three kids and they grew up and they were in elementary school and he said, I'm going to re-give the series. It's now called Five Principles on Parenting. And then years later, his kids were teenagers and one went to college and he re-gave the series and it was called A Few Random Thoughts on Parenting. (laughs) And so we are inconsistent, Margie and I, we're messy, but one of the things we try to do is daddy-daughter dates. And by the way, this is the principle of, um, one of the differences is obviously boys and girls, sons and daughters. If you read the scriptures, it says sons are to leave and daughters are to be given in marriage. Sons leave, create their life, pursue a woman, get married. Daughters, this is the symbolism in the wedding. They're given in marriage. And so part of the way that particularly dads help that is like, so my daughter, I've told her before, I'm like, Addie, first of all, you got to marry a Christian. Second of all, you may have to marry somebody wealthy because you have really high taste. (laughs) I'm like, where do you want to go on Daddy Daughter date? She's like, can we go to Fertelli's? I'm like, Fertelli's? That's when Bubba and Papap come in. They take us there. But I kind of like it because it's like, what I want to do is I want to set, I mean, I, hear me say this rightly, but you want to set a standard so that the guy who honks the horn and says, we're going to McDonald's, she's like, that's not how it works. I don't want to get my meal through a drive-through, right? So it's like, okay, so, but the whole idea is, I, I did this the other day, I took her out, partly I knew I was going to be talking about this, I'm like, I better do this, practically. <laughs> so I've done it before, but I took her out, and we had this great breakfast, and I realized, I genuinely, I realized, like, I really like my daughter. But I had to isolate her from the other two kids, we had to have some, she's 10 years old now, we had all these great conversations, we, we had this great time together, she's asking me questions, I'm asking her questions. Uh, so, at the same time, I told my wife, or I said, the, uh, the, the two boys, they're gonna take out mom. So I kind of gave them this and I said, you know, and you know, gave them money and you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna take the mom out. And, uh, and I gave them like the ABCs of dating and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's for them to get ready to pursue a woman. And I asked my wife how it went afterwards. She said, really good, except Elon talked about another girl the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> True story. So I had to talk to him. Hey, when you're on a date with a woman, you got to focus on her. Don't be talking. He's five. Um, but the, the whole point is that we have, to, we have to be willing to disciple our children differently. Um, so, so he says, if she's a wall, we'll do one thing and a door another. Here's what I want to say. We, you have to understand that to, when you think about doors, that's how do I let, I need to be careful how things get let into my kids' lives. And I want us to understand this. We probably do understand it, but I just want to say it out loud. Today, the doors are digital. It used to be, oh, I'm so nervous because when he gets his license or when she's old enough and when they start dating, now, now hear me out, dating is a door. But I would say dating is no longer the first major door when it talks about these things. Today, the doors are digital. So it's, it's streaming services. It's social media. And we're not going to get weird and we're not going to get religious and we're not going to get legalistic and I'm not going to tell you a ton of things that you have to do. I would encourage you to read Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. You could find that sometime. He's a guy who's tried to manage. He's a Christian thinker and uh, author and writer. He even wrote a second book with his daughter. She's older now and how thankful she is on how he raised her and how they raised in a a tech-wise family. That's what he's gonna talk about. Um, But the doors are digital. We we found this out. So we're watching, the. the, it's not new anymore probably, but on Disney there was the new Mighty Ducks. And I'm like, I love Mighty Ducks. You know, I, I grew up watching Mighty Ducks. And I'm watching it and I think it's TVG. And I'm like, I, but I'm just waiting because it's 2021 now when I was watching it. I'm like, I'm just waiting for the agenda. I'm just waiting for it. And about episode three or episode four, wouldn't you know it, the main character, the cute kid who's funny has lesbian parents. And, there, and it's, it's, just, it's a whole part of the story. And so, now what did we do? We didn't turn it off and say, we're never watching this again! Because what would that do? Well, it creates the forbidden. I mean, the lesson... <laughs> Lesson one in scripture is we don't do good with things that are forbidden. We don't do do, do good with never look at that and never touch that and you don't want to know what's over there. So we pause it. This is the nice thing about streaming services. Hey, do you guys see what they're doing here? The other time we're watching a show, again, I think it was TVG, maybe I need the kids in mind things better. It was like TVG or TVPG and all of a sudden um, uh, there's these two women romantically laying in bed together just randomly in a scene out of nowhere. And my daughter was like seven at the time or something. And she's like, Dad, my stomach hurts. So I was like, okay, we need to have a conversation about this. Some of you, when it comes to your house, you're like, you've got guns, you've got ammo, (laughs) you've got security systems, you've got great locks on your doors, you've got cameras, and you have nothing for all of your devices. Do Do you understand that device, the average American family has 10 devices. And I was like, that's ridiculous. And then I counted, we have 13. (laughs) That's every iPad, that's every iPhone, that's every television, that's every way technology can come into your house. I didn't even count the Alexa's. So we have to be very, very careful and realize that the doors today are digital and the doors today are devices. And that's why, from everything I'm reading, the biggest rite of passage is no longer Here's the keys to your own car, but here's your own cell phone. Because what that cell phone is, is it's, it's a device, and it's, and it's a door, and we need to be careful, which leads to the second thing. The first thing is disciple every child differently. To do that, you need to have individual time with them, obviously. The second thing is you need to have conversations. I want, you to, I want to show you this. Go to Deuteronomy, if you'll go there, De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It'll be on the screen if you can't find it, but here's what it says. This is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. If there was one passage that everybody in the Old Testament knew, it was this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's called the Shema. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. A great summary. But then look at verse 7. It says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Look at what word continues to be repeated. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you need to continue to talk to them is what it's saying. The second point is that when it comes to discipling your kids or parenting, or particularly, I'm talking about having conversations about sex and marriage and dating and all of that, you don't have a conversation, you continually have conversations. What does the average parent in America do? or the average, even American Christian parent, we have one intense, awkward conversation for everybody involved. It's like, okay, go away with dad for an hour or go overnight somewhere and we're going to talk about this one time and then it'll be over. (laughs) Over for me and over for you, right? Versus what does it look like to have conversations? So you want to create, here's the principle, you want to create a family you want to create an environment, some of you will do this more naturally than others, where you can have these conversations. For most families, the main place of discipleship is the dining room table. It's why the family meal has been called by many a keystone habit. If you, when, the more family meals you have, everything else in the house gets better. Your kids tend to be sexually pure. They tend to have better grades. They tend to have better self-esteem. They tend to have better relationships. You can never start this conversation. You can never start the conversations too early. I was reminded of this two weeks ago. Again, Elon, my five-year-old. He-, he comes home from some event and he said, Dad, I have a crush. I said, Well, tell me about it. He said, She's 12. I said, Well, <laughs> age doesn't matter that much, but she's over two times your age. <laughs> and so I, but I, I you know, I went and asked him. I said, So what are you gonna do about it? He says, Well, I'm gonna take her on a bike ride. He says, then I'm gonna take her to dinner. He says, and then I'm gonna take her somewhere private and I'm gonna kiss her. I was like, no, you're not. (laughs) But he had this conversation with me. I'm like, and I find out it's because she gave him a quarter. (laughs) But in his mind, I don't know what he's thinking and how he's thinking, but it was a reminder to me, you can never start these conversations too early. And, and the truth is that, that quality time and quality conversations with your kids happen out of quantity time. Yeah. I'm just trying to give us some helpful principles because a lot of times parents think, oh, I need to have real quality time. And that's, that is true. And again, like I said earlier, because we are so busy, because we're traveling, because we have all these commitments, we're like, okay, I'm gonna take these 15 minutes and make them real intense. And we're gonna talk about things. It, just, it doesn't work that way. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is a lot of informal, a lot of hangout time. And in the midst of all of that, great conversations happen. So Jesus is walking, and one of his disciples sees a blind person. And says, He says, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Is it his fault? Did he do something wrong? And Jesus is like, I'm really glad you asked that question. And he answers them. But how did it was only because they were spending so much time together? That they were able to have meaningful conversations i remember there's just one time and we're we're driving by wake baptist hospital i live near it and uh, my kids are like why is the hospital so big so we started talking about that and then they said are there going to be hospitals in heaven and i started and all of a sudden they understood heaven in a new way i said there's no hospitals in heaven what i did was i took their normal life a normal conversation we were, that, that was what, what I, I, you know, I always do alliteration. That was driving devotions with dad. <laughs> I don't know, but we, we're just, you know, we're just, we're, just doing, we're just doing life together. We're having conversations. This is, this is how it has to work. You have to open the door. And Are you the kind of person, are you the kind of mom and dad where your kids can come to you and have the conversations? Dave Ferguson, he's a pastor in Chicago. He says, here's what discipleship is try to follow this. He says, discipleship is this with a person, and think about it with parenting. It's, I do, you watch, we talk. And then I do, you help, we talk. And then you do, I help, we talk. And then you do, I watch, we talk. It's like, well, what's what's the same in all of those? We talk. A small part of life is what happens to you. A large part of life is how you interpret and understand it. That's it. And so lots of things over the 18 years that your kids are in the home are going to happen to your kids. And what they need is mom and dad to help them have evaluative experiences. Which leads to the final thing. So it's very simple. We embrace our responsibility as parents. We see that the family as an institution and being a parent as an office that God has ordained. We disciple every child differently and uniquely based on who they are. All we're trying to do is get the word of God into their heart. But they have their own barriers. They have their own personalities. The main way we disciple our kids differently is by having meaningful conversations about them when we, with them when we open up our Bibles and open up our lives. And then the final thing is we want to mark moments and make milestones. So let me show you this. It, it, watch, if you go with me here... Um, uh, Song of Solomon eight verse ten says this. I was a wall. By the way, this is now the maiden speaking, or the Shulamite woman. This is her last time speaking. She just heard about, you know, is, is my is my sister going to be a wall, have a high self image, or is she going to be a door? And then she chimes in. She's she's a. By the way, this is what we need. We need godly examples of men and women who did things right. It says this. I was a wall. But then she says, "But then I grew up, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace." Then verse eleven: Solomon had a vineyard at Baal hammon He let out the vineyard. He let out the vineyards to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. What most people think she's doing here is she's telling the story of how she ended up getting to meet Solomon. You see, in chapter one, she says, "I'm working in the vineyards with my brothers. They put me in the vineyards." Well, most people think what happened is her brothers rented out that field from Solomon. So here's what she's doing. She's looking back on her life and she's celebrating the different moments and the different milestones that brought her here today. And by the way, this is all in an environment of of having conversations with your kids. And one of the other rules, by the way, when you have conversations with your kids is to never be shocked and to never be surprised by anything that they tell you. Years ago, Addie came home from school. She said, we're at the dining room table. She said kind of proudly to me and Margie, I know all the swear words. And I, because I knew a little bit about this, don't be, you know, be calm, be cool, be collective. I said, nope, I know all the swear words. In fact, there's not a swear word that you know that's going to shock me or surprise me. And she said, well, what about this one? I said, that is a swear word. Um, (laughs) And then she she said, and then she said another word. I'm like, that is also a swear word. Don't say that again. Um, And we talked about why you don't say, and, and then she said, and then I learned a really bad one funk. I'm like, close. Um, (laughs) But I'm not going to tell you what the real word is, okay? But the whole point is we wanted to create an environment where our kids could talk. So here's the thing. Moments and milestones. I want to talk about these because they're really important. Part of it is I think we long for moments and milestones. That's why we go on vacation. That's why we travel. Usually we're overly dependent on the school systems for moments and milestones. You're in middle school, you're in high school, you're graduating. We don't really create many milestones anymore. The church, we've tried to have some. You know, parent commissioning, child dedication is supposed to be the first milestone. We're trying to create better milestones of connecting our students to, uh, from kids ministry to student ministry and create moments and milestones. But let me explain the difference. Moments are things that happen to you that you maybe didn't see coming that are negative or positive. That could be either, let me give you an example. Do you have the kind of home that if your son or daughter encountered pornography, they could talk to you about it? I mean, think about it, what are the chances that at some point in your kids' lives, maybe very briefly, maybe accidentally, they're going to encounter some form of pornography? I would say the chance is close to 100%. No matter how many devices you get rid of and how many doors you put on the digital things, it's, it maybe doesn't happen until college or something. I don't know. But then the question is, do you have the, the kind of environment in your home where your kids can talk to you about it? Do you have the kind of environment that when they like somebody, they can talk to you about it? Do you have the type of environment that when some guy or some girl breaks their heart, you can talk about it. They wanna talk to you about it. I was talking to a young lady in our church the other day and she said, when I went on my first date, it was kind of a moment for me. I was, she was in high school and she said, and 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 my parents sat me down. And right before I went on my first date, they told me all of the mistakes that they had made in dating. And they just talked about it. And they said, this is the things we regret. These are some of the mistakes we made before we met each other. In appropriate ways, they told, here's some mistakes that we made together. And I just want to talk to you about this because I want you to know that we're not perfect. That's a great way to lead. We're vulnerable. This is a, and we want to help you. And, and the, the barriers and the boundaries and the curfew and everything that we're giving you and the questions that we're asking and, and why we want to meet him and all that, we're doing that because of the mistakes that we have made and we don't want that same thing to happen to you. Now, do you think that if something happened, if she made a mistake later, do you think that based on that environment they'd, she'd be able to talk to them? I think so. So moments are more of the things that you don't know. It's like, they just happen. And then it's like, okay, how am I going to react as a parent and try to make the most of this moment as an opportunity? Moments are powerful. Here, I'll, I'll, here's a little thing you can do for yourself to tell you how powerful moments are. 40%, if you went to college, of your memories, this has been proven, 40% of your memories from college are from the first six weeks. Just think back on your college experience. 40% of your memories. Well, why? Because you're experiencing all these new moments. Mom and dad aren't here. I live in a dorm. I made new friends. I ate in the calf for the first... You have all of these moments, and you remember them. A milestone is different. A milestone is something that we see happening in the future. That means you're going to be entering a new stage of life. And, and by the way, kids long for this. They, if, you're, if kids are rightly oriented, they want to grow up. They want to take on more responsibility, but often they don't know how. They don't know when it happens. So here, potential milestone, turning 13, becoming a teenager. Uh, there's a great book I recommend. I know I'm recommending a couple books. There's a book called Intentional Father by John Tyson. I've had a chance to meet him. He's a great godly, godly pastor and a godly father. He said that he, he had studied manhood and how you move from boyhood to manhood. He studied it in great depth, and he noticed that in almost every culture, there's a, there's a moment around 12, 13 years old. And so he talked to his wife, and she agreed, and he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take our son to dinner right around his 13th birthday, and I want you to have a severing dinner. That's what he called it. He said what his wife did is she took the 13-year-old son out to dinner. They had a really nice dinner together. She encouraged him. She complimented him, and she said how proud she was and all this. And then she said, I'm now officially handing you over to your father for him to teach you what it looks like to be a man. And he said, I was talking to John, he said he... He got home, his son got home, and he said to his son, how was dinner with mom? And he said, his son said, it was nice. She took me out to dinner. He said, and then she told me that she's handing me over to you. (laughs) He said, it was kind of (laughs) weird. And I love John's response. John said, of course it was weird because it never happened to you before. That's the definition of weird. But it's gonna be a good thing. He said, in fact, we're leaving tonight. And he took his son away for three days. And he met up with a couple other dads. And they began to chart out a course for the rest of high school. And some of the things they wanted to see happen and some of the ways that they wanted to see. And his son is now in his 20s and still talks about it. We're not here to tell you what milestones you need to have, but getting, your, getting the license can be a milestone. Giving them a phone when they turn 28 <laughs> is a great milestone leaving and going off to college, these are all great milestones. What, what, what parents do is, at the end of the day, we embrace the authority God's given us. We disciple our kids differently. We do it in an environment of honest, open conversations. And we look for moments. And we creatively think about milestones. Now, when I say all this, there's lots of different people in the room, and some people go, when I say all this, some of you go, man, I had a great dad. I had a great mom. And some of the things that you're telling me I've gotten to experience, and we don't get to pick our parents, right? That's the one thing you don't get to pick. Your your friends, you get to pick. Your family, thrust upon you. We don't get to pick our parents. But some of you had great parents, and one of the things, if you're looking for, what's a practical application? Maybe give them a phone call and just say thank you. Maybe write them a handwritten letter and send it to them and tell them the ways that they have been, made a huge investment in you. Because here's the truth. When you're, an element, when you're really, really young, you think your parents know everything. And that's a fun stage to be a parent in. Um, and then when you get to elementary school, you, you, you realize this. People think differently than my parents. And then when you get to middle school, you think this. I think differently than my parents. And then when you get to high school, you think this. My parents are idiots. And then when you graduate college, you go, my parents were geniuses. It's like a bell curve. Others, others of you, you had bad parents. And here's the great thing. You can, you can be a brand new link in a brand new chain. And you can break generational sin patterns and you can break generational curses. Some of you feel like you've been bad parents. It's hard to, if you, the older you are, you hear a sermon like this and you're like, well, no milestones. I treated all my kids basically the same. That's probably the problem. Uh, we were on our devices and we didn't talk a lot. And let me just say, there's lots of grace. And and, and part part of what you cannot do too much is to repent to your kids. I knew a dad. He got, and there's nothing wrong with homeschooling, but he got in this weird homeschooling culture. You know, not that homeschoolers can be weird. Okay, they can, yes, they can. Um, He got in this weird homeschooling culture. And they get weird, some of them really do. And, And the homeschooling culture got real weird and it told the dads, your son has to do what you do. So he had all these sons. He's like, "Okay, so I guess they all have to be pastors." And it was this whole, it's I'm not going to get into it. Long story short, he I heard the story he ended up coming out of that years later. Thankfully his kids were still not out of the home yet. They were in high school. And he went back and he repented. And he's a real biblical guy. He quoted Hebrews 12:10. He said which says, "Our dad disciplined us for a while the best he knew how." And that's what you say. I did the best with what I knew. There's lots of grace. I'm gonna repent. And then finally, I wanna end by praying for prodigal sons and daughters, because I've talked to a lot of parents, and you get late 40s, you get early 50s and 60s, and you go, what's going on? I was talking to a dad the other day. He's a pastor. Two of his kids are also pastors. His daughter is living in open rebellion, cohabitating with a non-Christian. And he's heartbroken. You're only as happy as your least happy kid, you know? And so he's like, and so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna end and we're gonna pray for the prodigal sons and the prodigal daughters that are connected. There's dozens and dozens connected through our church. And we're just gonna pray some biblical prayers for them and over them. Let's pray together as a church. Lord, we lift up our prodigal sons and daughters. I pray three things for them, Lord. The first thing I pray is that they would come to themselves like the prodigal son did wherever they are, even right now, Lord, they would come to themselves and say, what am I doing? My parents prayed for me. They invested in me. They love me. I know the truth. Lord, we pray that sons and daughters would come to themselves. Lord, we pray for those who are even more rebellious and they they are like Jonah, running away from the clear call of God on their lives, Lord. And our prayer for them is that you would destroy the ship and save the sinner. That's the prayer for every prodigal. Whatever they are trying to run away on, would you please destroy that as painful as that will be. Destroy the ship and save the sinner. And Lord, what's so painful for so many of us in this room is we can't be with our prodigal sons and daughters often. They live somewhere else. We're completely disconnected. So we pray this biblical prayer, Lord, would you send laborers into their life, Lord, where they live, learn, work, and play in their workplace. Lord, we've, had the, we've had the ability here to baptize many people who said, you know what, I moved to Winston to... And my parent and I grew up in a Christian home and I was not doing anything right. And then I met, you know, this guy in the medical school and he led me to Christ. And then we later meet the parents and they rejoice. Lord, we we pray to see many of those stories. We ask all this for your glory and our good. Amen.